Welcome to Better Roads, a podcast with Randall Bach, president of Open Bible Churches. Everyone has a story to their journey, and God loves to participate in those stories. Join Randall as he explores another Better Roads adventure. We're going to learn today about multicultural churches. Now, you know, my observation is it's much easier to talk about growing a multicultural church than it is to actually do it. Uh, Barbara and I love worshiping in multi multicultural churches, as do many other believers. I think we view it as a little bit of a foretaste of heaven. It's, it's going to be in heaven. But you know, how does a multicultural church happen? Uh, are there key ingredients for effectively growing a multicultural church? Pastor Diadath Mathai has served as a member of the National Board of Open Bible Churches. And it was during that time I grew to deeply appreciate his heart, his insights, wisdom, and his gentle interaction. So, Diadath, it is really a joy to reconnect and welcome you today to Better Roads. Well, thank you so much, Reverend Back, for having me. I am certainly delighted to be here and to be a part of this great program, speaking to the hearts of men and women everywhere. Thank God for the glorious opportunity to serve. And we give him praise for our service. Amen, amen. So you're originally from Trinidad. So tell us about your family, what, what brought you to the USA, and where you pastor today. Okay, so we're gonna go a ways back. <laughs> a ways back, uh, huh? Trinidad is certainly a lovely country. It's a twin island republic. And, um, you know, I've had the wonderful privilege of being born and raised there. I went to school there and all of my schooling there um, were primarily influenced by the British system of education. Mm -hmm. I went to all of my schools actually were influenced in that way. And so, um, I am the middle of two children. I have an older sister and a younger brother, and we were all um, raised in a Hindu family. And so that in itself is a lifetime story that, My. you know, we certainly... Yes, <laughs> indeed. We wouldn't be able to cover today. And, um, but the Lord was good to me in that I saw the light of Jesus early on in life. And as in, in my late teenage years, I met the Lord. Um, I had already started down a very, very negative path in life. And um, so I was invited to, to this street crusade meeting. And I thought I'd just go over there and be a nuisance and mock the preacher and and make fun of the preachers. Huh? I particularly went to target the preacher. But what I did not know was that the preacher, um, he was a rough gentleman from Miami. <laughs> <laughs> and um, He could handle you. <laughs> yes, and he was a no-nonsense guy. Uh -huh. I would have my first encounter with a preacher that I initially thought all preachers were soft and gentle and robe wearing and so on. But I found out differently about this gentleman. At the end of his message, he pointed directly at me. Mm -hmm. 
you sir come here back in the day they used to do that those preachers <laughs> <laughs> and um, and they could get away yeah, that's with right it. that's right and so I, I i immediately from the time he pointed me out i started having these strange sensations and i started shaking and shivering and i said what is happening here this is trinidad it never gets less than 90 degrees you know why am i cold and and, and that night I was led to the Lord. Ah, wonderful. Um, and it happened in, in, I believe, 1981. And I accepted Jesus and never turned back mm. since then. Mm -hmm. Served the Lord uh, through the years. And in every way that I possibly can, I, I try to make Jesus proud of me at every turn. Amen. Amen. And that's, you know, and it, it started there and there was no going back. So, okay, so that that is a, I wish we could unpack all the rest of that story, but obviously God tabbed you, um, set you apart. So let's pick up a few more pieces here before we get into the, the church you pastor. Tell us about your family. And then what brought you to the USA? Was it because this preacher was from Miami or what? Huh? <laughs> um, well, insofar as the family is concerned, um, Gene and I attended the same church um, in our younger years, and we never had any interest in each other at all. Um, she was Sister Jean, and uh, I was Brother Mathai. That's how we went in the old days. You know, you had to put that little title in front That's of right. it. You do yeah. go back and a ways, so, don't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um and so we were doing fine working together i was always one year ahead of her in bible college but we did meet in bible college and um in a in a more personal way and a gentleman in the neighborhood had died and um the pastor was out of town and so somebody called me, I don't know if it was my superintendent or whomever, and said, we need you to go and do this funeral. And so I went to the funeral, and while I was officiating, I looked over and I saw Jean. And I started to think to myself, wow, she looks nice. And, you, know, and <laughs> you saw her for the first time. <laughs> no, I had seen her before. Yeah, but you really we saw were... her for the first time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, um, and so people are crying and bawling and so on. And, and my heart is fluttering. And uh, I'm seeing sparks. <laughs> Beware. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it happened in the strangest of place. And she would tell you, you know. And so she was with her mother. And I couldn't wait to get that funeral done with. We put that guy under in a hurry. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And I went over and I offered to drive her home. And then she said, well, I'm, well my mother is with me. So I had to drive her mother as oh, well. Oh, yeah, the mother, mother goes with the deal. Okay, I got it. And, and that started us off. And um, we eventually got engaged. We got married. And this past January would make us 33 years oh, man. of a very happy Congratulations. Marriage. And um, and God has been good. The Lord has given us two sons, Jonathan and Jordan, and um, they're both independent young men, both in medical field and both in ministry with us. Mm. Um, and so we thank God for that. 
Jonathan, our oldest son, he is a radiologic technician at St. Mary's Hospital. And he is on the music team of another church here in West Palm Beach. And Jordan is with me as our music, our sound engineer and so on. So, you know, God has blessed us. We're doing well. Our boys are serving the Lord. And for us, that is that is one of the biggest achievements right. in our ministry. That's right. We rejoice with you yes, over yes, that. So, yes. so tell us <clears throat> the church that you pastor. Now, it's this, this is a this has become a multicultural church. I don't think it would have been described that way before you went there. So tell us a little bit about this church and you know, describe this, the diverse composition of it uh, today. Yes, and what, where is got, this in the name of the church, too? I don't think I asked you that. Yes. Well, the name of the church is New Horizon Worship Center, and we are located in West Palm Beach. Um, and it is the only open Bible church right now in West Palm Beach. And so we serve a very large and diverse community, and um, for which we're grateful to the Lord for giving us the opportunity to do so. Um, when we got to this church in, two, in the summer of 2008, um, honestly, I, I really don't know what, what we could have described it as, because our first service had four people. Uh, yeah outside of my family. Um, and so with my family and those four people, we made eight. And as we continued on from the summer of 2008, we noticed that many of the folks who had left the church were returning. And as they returned, we noticed that, that some of them did not stay. I wasn't sure really what they were looking for. We were trying to figure out stuff as well, mm -hmm. but we noticed that there was a buildup and the buildup seemed to, at the time, be uh, multi-ethnic. It seemed to be people from different countries, different cultural backgrounds and so on. And, um, and then it dawned upon me that, that this is a good thing because in my heart, I always knew that God had called me to the masses. Mm -hmm. I always knew that I had a voice to speak mm -hmm. to people who did not speak the language and live the life that I lived. I, I, very early on in my Christian experience, I knew that. As a matter of fact, I am one of those persons who believed in personal prophecies. And in my final year at Open Bible Institute, a lady from the church prophesied on my life and said to me that you would be ministering to strangers. I remember that word to this day. That's a biblical word. Yes. And I couldn't, I couldn't understand who the strangers were. Were they my neighbors? Were they people from Trinidad? Well, who are these people? And then after many years of pastoring in Trinidad and coming to this country, I found myself understanding who these strangers are people who spoke different languages and looked differently and ate differently and fellowship differently. And so it started to grow and it took off and the Lord was blessing and people were coming from everywhere. And we thank God for that. Notwithstanding that we had, we retained um, 
the American group of people, and I would say that they were 50% black, 50% white. Um, in addition to those, um, we had Haitian folks, Bahamian folks, Jamaicans, Puerto Ricans, people from the Dominican Republic. We had uh, Egyptian folks joining our ministry through the school, Nigerian folks. We had some Guyanese people. Uh, and then, of course, Trinidadians. And then, I don't know, but we also had some people who moved from New York. Um, <laughs> Another so, culture, too, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and that is a fascinating salad. It's a fascinating it company that presented me with a challenge that no Bible college training had prepared me mm. for. You know, this was going to be learn as you go and um, and grow as you go. Yes. And that's exactly what it was. It took out of me everything that I thought I knew about pastoring. And one of the first things that had to leave was the benign paternalism, you know, mm. that I'm the father, yes. I'm the pastor, I'm the leader, I'm the bishop. <laughs> that had to go very, very quickly because the cultures were not going to put up with that. And um, so who did, who did you, you know, become? You, you weren't, you weren't that, who, who did you become? I will be honest with you. In the first five years, I didn't know who I was. Shit, your you honesty. Know, because, <laughs> yes, sir. Because I was pastor, preacher, teacher, janitor, yeah. serving people in every capacity imaginable for the first five years of that ministry mm. there in West Palm Beach until people started to be comfortable. Because one of the things that I learned later on is that multiculturalism is a wonderful idea, but it's an idea that fights itself. Wow, that's powerful. In so many ways, yeah. Wow. Um, and I will talk about that a little bit more. But I was encouraged, you know, with reading scriptures and so on, Acts chapter 9 talked about the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, the Judeans, you know, all those peoples. And I was seeing that happening. And God, eventually, you asked me who I thought I was, God eventually made me into an every tribe person. Oh, and every tribe person. I had to learn some key basic fundamental things about human relations all over again if I was going to be that every tribe person. And most of what I had to learn um, was in the realm of the socio-relational aspects of things, mm -hmm. how to relate to people. Mm -hmm. And, and the education still continues, my no dear. Doubt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it still continues. But God has been good to us. I learned very early on to lead, to love, and to keep learning. Oh, wow. That's a powerful prescription right there for anywhere. Yeah. And it was not going to happen outside of that. Yes. You know. So, so as you look at the... Uh, uh, all these dimensions that you have, you 
in the process still of learning. A, a flood of questions come to mind about some of the specifics, like, you know, most, you're, you're, you're interacting with people as one of them in each of these groups. You're learning how to do that. But you realize that, you know, most church worship teams uh, reflect the music of their culture. And you don't have a culture, you have several cultures. And, uh, you know, people tend to keep to their cultural traditions. How do, how do you manage that language barriers? How do you surmount all of these issues? How do you make this congregation truly connect as one, even though they come from these totally different backgrounds, you know, appreciation for music, language, all of that? How do you, how do you blend all of that? Well, you know, it's a process. And one of the things that we had to do was very early on, made it very clear that our ministry was not going to make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. It was not, you know, the board and the leaders and so on. We had very regular leadership meetings and we discussed and talked about these things. We, we were not going to make everybody happy. Yes. Notwithstanding that, we had to have a standard. And so the standard that I fought for was a music and a worship environment that could be described as contemporary. Mm-hmm. Contemporary and Americanized. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason for that is, and I, and I think I heard very clear from the Lord regarding that, because there was no way that we could do Haitian worship one Sunday, Jamaican worship another Sunday, yeah. and so on and so on. Yeah. There had to be a standard. But what the Lord told me in the way that we're going to fix this is to make sure that there was a friendly atmosphere during the worship services, to make sure that there was opportunity for fellowship, to make sure that we were doing everything we can possibly do to make our guests, first-time visitors, to make the cross-cultural experience very pleasant for people, particularly those who are visiting for first timers, the first time. You know, and so we switched the emphasis from what kind of music we were going to be providing to what kind of environment we will provide during the music presentation. Wow, wow, that's excellent. And I think when we settled that in our spirits, honestly, we never had a problem with people rejecting the style of worship and the kind of music that we provided and so on. Mind you, it took a little while to get there. Because we had to, before we could provide that kind of ambience, we had to work with personalities. The worship leaders themselves had to be reborn. Yes. You know, they had to be remade. Mm-hmm. And that took the longest time to do. Mm-hmm. You know, but when we did that, the Lord blessed the ministry to the degree now that. You know, I would rate the worship at West Palm Beach at, at right at the top with, with many other churches that perform at larger levels. The Lord has blessed us. And I see Jamaican dancing during the worship. I see Haitian people, Hispanic people, everybody getting in there. And largely because we did not try to please people, we let the Holy Spirit please people. Mm-hmm. And when that happened great things started to happen you know um 
and and as we as we pressed on with the worship now um we have a younger group of people coming in that are leading worship and we don't have to try to recreate that culture they are meeting it already in place and so it it has gotten a little bit easier now people know now that when they get there man we're just going to worship the lord bless his name and so on i read a, a saying by a lady called rebecca mclaughlin and she said that ultimately our worship experience and our convictions and so on should and would always should always be shaped by the holy spirit not so much by the music directors mm -hmm. and so on but by the holy spirit yes. and we were obedient in that regard and great things happen Amen. you know so yeah so you don't uh, you know it was profound at the beginning was we can't make everyone happy we're not here to make everyone happy okay. so i would assume that means there are some people who would decide this really isn't a fit for me and you would bless them to go their way <laughs> and sir we had many such blessings <laughs> <laughs> so people who are there are because they want to be there then yes uh, there were people who actually came and got up in the middle of the service and left and i never saw them again wow. And, and, and I had peace with that, you know, um, but there were some things that, that we had to do to make sure that we keep most of the fish in the net. Um, we, we understand that we were not going to be able to keep all of them, <laughs> um, but we needed to do what we need to do. And there were some things that we did not negotiate with at all. You know, one of them, uh, like I said earlier, we were not going to make everybody happy. The other thing was we never displayed a bias against any particular ethnic group, not even in joke. Mm -hmm. And, and yes. Reverend Back, let me yes. tell you, I had to stop making jokes. Mm -hmm. You know, the one that says, um, so a Jamaican, a Bahamian, and a Trinidadian went into a bar. <laughs> you, don't, you don't do that. <laughs> I had to painfully give those up and instead say a chicken, a dog, and a cow, <laughs> you know, and, and, and we got around things. Yeah. Because I learned that an ethnic joke can become the microgenesis of a full-blown exodus mm. in any wow. church. You're giving <laughs> us some powerful insights here. Just a joke, and you can have a landslide in a multicultural church. Uh, what you think is a you joke know. isn't perceived as a joke on the other hand. It's not. It's not. And so, and so we we talk to our people all the time, you know, listen. If you're going to make a joke, share a joke with me. And if I don't laugh, you don't share. <laughs> it's called the Matai test. <laughs> the Matai humor <laughs> test. <laughs> you know, because we work hard and we can't afford for one group to leave. Because if a group leaves in a multicultural church, that whole community is going to leave. Yes, yes. You know, and um, and so another non-negotiable. As pastor, I never try to win an argument with an ethnic group or a person representing an ethnic group. I always try to make sure that that person wins the argument 
and find a way to settle up because you will never win. Mm. You know, I have found out that pastoring anybody, you very seldom win, (laughs) you know, and um, particularly with in a multicultural setting, you're not going to win. And, and a, a fifth non-negotiable that I, that I try very hard to employ is people must have the feel that God can use their ethnic group, their ethnicity, their culture, as well as he would use other cultures, mm-hmm. other ethnic groups. Every person must have that sense and that feel that they have an equal opportunity to be used of God. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of our biggest keys. So what I I think what I hear you saying is that when all these ethnicities come together to worship, on the one hand, your worship and the presence of the Holy Spirit transcends and unifies all these people. But at the same time, you are deeply respectful that they come with those unique, could I say, IDs. Uh, That's a deep part of who they are. And you honor that. Yes, yes. And, and occasionally, our worship music selections occasionally would have a Jamaican-Caribbean influence. Um, when we do videos and so on, we will have some French or, or Haitian Creole-type background music. Occasionally, it's not the mainstream at all, but occasionally, people, people can feel comfortable and rest assured to use your word, that we respect their, their, their place of origin and their nations of origin and, and the things that they practice and so on. And, um, and you know, it has been working well for us. And um, I did a, a little survey recently and wanted, I was trying to find out what the cultures feel about my preaching personally. And um, so I designed a little study and I found out that the preaching was highly rated, not only by an American culture or by a Trinidadian culture, but by the cultures across the board. And then I did the same thing for the worship. And, and I found out that people are comfortable. They're enjoying it. They're staying and they're bringing others mm-hmm. until the pandemic showed up and put a wedge in stuff. Yes, <laughs> yes. And then the pandemic, yes. But, uh, but, but God is good. And we are obedient, and he is continuing to work with us. So you if, you're, if you have someone, uh, a couple of questions for you. If someone, if you meet someone who says, you know, I, I'm really just most comfortable worshiping with my own kind. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm not really comfortable with mixing with all the other different groups in my worship and church experience. What, what would you like to say to them? Well, what I would like to say, I would not be able to say, <laughs> you know, but I, I would politely refer them to a church in the area. I might even give them a phone number, but they're probably on their way out already. Yes. So I will have to cite something in Revelation that says, so when we go to heaven, you know, do you think that the worship is going to be with this group only or that group? Not your group, not, not your, but this group or that group, you know, 
But like I said, my rule is never to fight because from the time I heard that, I knew already that I was going to lose that fight, mm-hmm. you know. And if people decide that they're going to worship with, their, with people of their own ethnicity, they probably will, you know. Yes. So I'm not going to argue with that. But I'll share this with you, Randleback, President Randleback. People who have told me that and have left, they come back within three to six months. Mm, they test the waters. They come back. Yes. And they come back. And when they come back, we receive them with open arms, with love, and so on, because I know that wherever they went, that experience did not work for them. That's right. Yes. You know, there is something that happens. There is a sweet flavor that brews and stirs and mixes with the presence of God in a multicultural worship setting that people can get addicted to. And I use the word addicted, not clinically, but spiritually. Absolutely. (laughs) I hear you. You know, and, um, and even I now, I, I have adjustment issues when I go to monocultural places with the worship. You know, and I have to adjust and say, okay, you know, because I learned that I'm an every tribe person. Yes. And so adjusting for me is very, very easy. Yes. You know? Yes. And, um, and I try to make that easy for other people. And, you know, it's working. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have not, Barbara and I get around a lot of places. We've not yet had the privilege of um, being with you in your church. Uh, you have made it extremely inviting. Uh, I really would like to have the opportunity to be with you and and Gene and your son and and that congregation and just experience with you uh, what God is doing. Um, maybe we can make that happen someday. We can certainly make that happen. Yes. How would you like? Yes, how would can. you like people to pray for you? Well, you know the challenge persists. As we continue with ministry, there are new things happening every day. And so we pray. I would, I would encourage people to pray for Gene and I, first of all. We have grown a little bit older now. And uh, we are not as quick in the draw as we used to be. <laughs> so, you know, we are praying that God will raise up like-mindedness mm-hmm. in leadership. Yes. Who, people who would be every tribe people. Yes. You know, um, the Lord has blessed the church to the degree that it is no longer one pastoral change away from extinction. It used to be that for many years. Mm-hmm. But it is no longer there. There are people now who, who can row the boat, so to speak. But we want to pray that God will continue to raise up like-minded people, every tribe people, People who are redemptively motivated and not diseased motivated. Yes. And by that I mean, yes. uh, I, I live my life on two pillars. One I live on and the other I avoid. And there is what we call the disease model to life. And the other is the redemptive model to life. The disease model will say, I'm an extrovert, for instance. The redemptive model will say, I can adapt. I can be all things to all men. I know when to extrovert and I know when to introvert. And Paul puts this across best. And I think that is what it takes for a multicultural church. Somebody who lives 
in the redemptive world. Mm -hmm. You know, not somebody who cites the deficiencies, but somebody who builds on redemption. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> wow. and that blesses me so much, you know. Amen. That is powerful. You've given some, some rich insights here that far transcend just multicultural churches. Uh, this yeah. is you're talking about the yeah. essence of what church or what church needs to be and how we approach one another uh, people who are brothers and sisters and people we don't know and uh, the honor and respecting of one another so um it's been a delight having you share with us today about your journey dear death and as you know and then we call this podcast better roads so as we bring this to a close today we 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 call it better roads because we like to explore you know the better roads people have chosen we know that we don't always do that it's it's a learning process it's our journey has roads that we'd say if i could erase that one i would you know and yet god redemptively works through those anyway and so we can all in hindsight identify some of the roads and say ah, that was not the best one perhaps to take however there are some roads we look back on those and say you know that was really a key road that was a road that positively positively affected uh, the course of my life and it was significant to who i am today could you talk to us a little bit about the better roads for you yes sir for me the number one of all, the best road of all that I took was when I abandoned the religious practices of my forefathers. Mm. And I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Initially, it was a lonely road because when I abandoned the practices of my forefathers, my people abandoned me. And in those early days, there were, you know, there was a very little tolerance for walking away from the religions especially the one i came from and um, it was a lonely and difficult path but i stayed the course and that road changed my life and the life of the woman that i would eventually marry and the sons that i would eventually have and what it did was turn a generation just by me taking mm. being obedient and taking that road it put an end to a generation that started with my forefathers in southern india and came to the west indies and in a mixture of hardship and difficulties and what have you while i'm grateful for everything that they provided god took me out and showed me a better road and i took that road and i'm here today another road that i delight in is the road that took me to Jean, you know? And um, when we got married in 1989, we got married um, that very same year, and we got married in January, in that very same year, May of that year, I went into full-time pastoral ministry. Looking back now, I am not so sure I'll advise anybody to do that, <laughs> <laughs> but, we grew together, we learned together, we cried together, we went through life together. And one of the things that is that has always been unique to our marriage is that we have never worked separate jobs apart from each other. 
for the 33 years, we've always worked together in the same building, in the same room, in the same office. People have asked me, and don't you get tired of each other? <laughs> you know, and uh, my answer is honestly, no. You know, we love each other and our marriage has been stable through the years. And, and we thank God for that. And so that that is the best, better road journey. And the last of all was when I chose to become a pastor. This year would make us 33 years as full-time pastors as well. Wonderful. Serving the Lord Wonderful. in pastoral ministry. And, um, and we give God praise for the roads that we have taken that have brought us to this place to be able to sit under people like you, the great tutelage and leadership that you have provided and many others that I've encountered, you know, and have changed our lives forever. We thank God for that. Wow, Nehadath, it's such a joy to have you with us here, my friend. I love and respect you and appreciate how you have allowed and are allowing God to work through you. I think you're cutting some new better roads also in the process of this. And God only knows where they'll land. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me, sir. It's an honor. And we thank you, our listeners, for joining us today. And we invite you to get back with us next time on Better Roads. You have been listening to Better Roads with Randall Bach, president of Open Bible Churches. Join us next time as we explore how God is part of another person's journey.